What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers. And we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. Every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people. And each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people and another 10. We did not know each other. And we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. I refer first to the need for far greater public information. To the need for far greater official secrecy. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, it didn't happen. And here we are. You're wrong. Are you better off than you were four years ago? When I hear your new ideas, I'm reminded of that ad. Where's the beat? They're looking for help. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. Well, Governor, we also have fewer forces and bayonets because the nature of our military has changed. We have these things called aircraft carriers where planes land on them. And when we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. But their children were saved. And their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Access America. So what? You really believe so what? It is excavated properly and it is studied properly. It is exposed as it should be done. The room, the ancient room that was found there, is still there, complete and unharmed. I don't like this your works. attitude and I don't like this conversation at all. I'm, I'm sorry, sorry Gabby, to I say. have to put both I'm sides sorry. of this. I'm sorry. I'm, seeking, I'm sorry for I'm that. I'm seeking here to get at a balanced story. You say... I don't with, want a balanced story, I want the truth. Do you accept there existed on the Haram al-Sharif, the Temple Mount, the Jewish Temple? Look. This is a very, very sensitive case. I think also it is also affected by politics. I believe that before the Muslim advent to this area, in this city there was a very sophisticated, complicated architectural development. But Muslims in general would like to see evidences Okay. You see, you see, I think what you're saying to me is something different now. I think this is, you're saying, as an archaeologist, a temple was here. But as a Palestinian within the politics of Jerusalem, I can't admit that. Maybe there is a denial of the existence of the temple which is more serious than the Holocaust denial. There's no attack on their holy places. They are not ready to admit our holy linkage to this, to this site. Jerusalem is the most divided city I have ever encountered. Even historians and archaeologists, civilized and educated men, are locked into this 40-year battle that has become a dialogue of the deaf. 
I fear now we will go through another period of violence in Jerusalem. And unless there is a dialogue between you, I don't see how this can be solved. I am now at the end of my investigation. In the next part, I want to try and find some building blocks, some basic ingredients that I believe might lay the foundations for a future peace. Because if peace is ever to return to the Middle East, we have to find a solution to Jerusalem's status. Over the last four months, I've been investigating the world's holiest city, Jerusalem and why it is at the center of a bitter conflict that threatens the future peace of the Middle East. Forty years ago, the Israelis conquered the whole city and brought it under Jewish rule for the first time in 2,000 years. Israeli photographer David Rubinger witnessed the city's capture on the 7th of June, 1967. And is Jerusalem more divided or less divided? Well, I said to somebody recently, it wasn't very well received, they said, in order for Jerusalem to be unified, really, it has to be divided again. Now it's unified by force. It should be unified by free will. For Jerusalem's Palestinian inhabitants, the last 40 years have been a long and hostile occupation. Within days of the city's conquest in 1967, Aisha Maslui saw her family home destroyed by the Israeli army. Would Jerusalem be Jerusalem? If there were no Jews here, if there were no Christians here, if it was just Arab? No, 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 for us. Yes. For us, if we have Christians or we have Jewish, it's okay. We can, we can be good friends. So you can share Jerusalem? Of course, of course. No problem at all. But they can't share us. To attempt to come up with a complete blueprint for peace, of the sort that has eluded the world's peace negotiators for the last 60 years, would be foolish. But now I'm back in Britain. I want to try and identify a few of the ingredients from which peace in Jerusalem, when it eventually comes, might be made. First, we have to accept that the problem of Jerusalem lies at the heart of the whole Arab-Israeli conflict. But in almost every previous peace negotiation, the status of Jerusalem has been left to last. But this, I think, is the wrong approach. In any broader Middle East peace settlement, Jerusalem should be tackled not last, but first. I think a solution for Jerusalem is doable. And it's doable either by one city, two capitals, two capitals, one city, two municipalities with another municipality, uh, whatever arrangements. All the arrangements of the day after is, is doable and possible because I want the Israelis to be my partners in the future, and they want me to be their partner. So Jerusalem, in my deliberations and negotiations, turned out to be doable more than any of the other issues that has to be done at the same time. I don't know. I cannot make prediction. For us, uh, Jerusalem is, in a way, the essence of why we came here. It's our birthplace. Mm. I think that the answer is not about mechanics, whether Jerusalem is put to the end or at first, it's about the nature of our counterparts. If our counterparts were basically ready to recognize the right of Israel to exist, 
as a democratic Jewish state. There was a basis for honest and fair negotiations. Second, before anything else happens, there needs to be a recognition that Jerusalem has a shared history. Both sides must accept the other's right to exist. Both must also accept that terrible things have been done. Crimes have been committed by both sides, such as the massacre of Jews by Arabs at Gush Etzion and the massacre of Palestinians by Jews at Deir Yassin. If we are to condemn Kfar Etzion, which we must do as a massacre, we must also condemn Deir Yassin, must we not? I don't like this comparison. In Deir Yassin, as you claim, they were not captive prisoners, as was the case in Kfar Etzion. This was a war. And in war, sometimes civilians, women and children are harmed. Sixty years on, I pray to Allah to compensate us for our property and that peace will prevail between us and them so that we can live side by side like we did before. Many of Jerusalem's worst problems stem from the determination of one side to claim exclusive ownership of the city. It is possible for us to agree on a symbolism that will allow us to live in peace. I don't think that that's out of reach. Religious symbolism can be used in two ways. It can be used as a source of conflict, or it can also be used to underline what Muslims and Jews and Christians share. By stressing the idea of the common father of the Jews and the Arabs, of Abraham, instead of looking at the city as a symbol of conflict, let us look at it as the place where all of our traditions began. Jerusalem is sacred to three billion Jews, Christians and Muslims, and is a capital for seven million Israelis and nine and a half million Palestinians worldwide. This place is not exclusively Jewish, or Muslim, or Christian, but it has to be open to everybody. Jonathan Kutab is a prominent human rights lawyer and a Palestinian Christian. No solution can be found if any religion or group claims exclusivity, that this is ours and ours alone. Uh, Jerusalem must be open, must be available, must be welcoming and hospitable to all its population and indeed to all the faithful throughout the world. The late uh, King Hussein used to say uh, the, problem, the solution to the problem of sovereignty in Jerusalem is to declare that God is the only sovereign in Jerusalem and we are all his children. So, thirdly, there has to be an understanding that just as Jerusalem cannot be owned by one people, it also cannot be owned by one God. What this means is sharing the spiritual space, the holy real estate. Places such as the Haram al-Sharif or Temple Mount, sacred to both Jews and Muslims. As an Orthodox Jew, I would say that Jews and Muslims, and for that matter Christians, have to recognize that owning a piece of real estate doesn't give you ownership over the truth. I have witnessed all over the world how religion can be used as a weapon to create and intensify conflict. But that need not be the case. Instead of always being the problem, surely religion can help provide a solution. We have to 
ask ourselves the questions of, of what does God want more for us to own the real estate or to be seeking peace with other human beings. As a religious person, I think that the answer clearly is that we should be seeking peace. Fourthly, what is needed for peace is a status quo agreement for all the holy places in Jerusalem, a joint forum for day-to-day -day conflict resolution, and an end to the disastrous dialogue of the deaf that operates today. And a template already exists in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre with its 240-year-old status quo agreement. What the city needs is a single body to manage all of its holy sites, jointly controlled by all of the three faiths. Then there is the scandalous policy of discrimination against Jerusalem's Palestinian inhabitants. Not only is this inhuman and unjust, it is also stupid, as it will only provoke more conflict. And in its aim to maintain a 76% Jewish majority in the city, it has already failed. If we look at the ratio today, we can come to the only conclusion that this plan is a complete failure. Because today the ratio is entirely different. Today something like 69% Jews and 31% uh, Palestinians. There was a plan to make Jerusalem uh, much more Jewish, but it failed. It's been estimated that by 2020, Palestinians will be 40% of the population of Jerusalem and rising. So surely it would make more sense to accept the inevitable now that both Israelis and Palestinians have a right to live in Jerusalem and to be treated equally and fairly. So the fifth ingredient for a peaceful solution might be a charter of rights for all the citizens of Jerusalem, Israeli and Palestinian one that delivers equality of treatment throughout the city, in housing, in services, in access. Next, we have to consider one of Jerusalem's most depressing and divisive sites, the security wall that now surrounds the city. Walls do not provide security. They didn't in Belfast, they didn't in Berlin, and they won't in Jerusalem. Today, security, real security, only comes when you recognize that you share a common destiny with your enemy. Are we breeding new suicide bombers in there? We are. Uh, but it's what happens when you uh, squeeze all hope out of people. They turn to despair, to destruction, and to self-destruction. And is this wall squeezing all hope out of Jerusalem? Very clearly. So if we are to have a sustainable peace, the wall must come down as part of a broad agreement which includes a firm and binding commitment to end all terror attacks on Israeli citizens. I condemn any violence against Israelis and uh, I want to solve my problem with Israelis through peaceful means and through negotiations. Peace is like tango, it takes two. So I'm ready, I never lost my appetite to already uh, mental readiness to make to take risk if I think that the reward might be worth it, however risky it could be. In the two other bloody conflicts of which I have experience, the Balkans and Northern Ireland, peace did eventually come. That which fell down and was destroyed can be rebuilt. Hatred can be mended in the human heart. Sworn enemies can find peace. 
In March 2007, Jerry Adams and the Reverend Ian Paisley, after 38 years of bloody conflict, were able to agree to share power in Northern Ireland. I want to begin my remarks by welcoming the statement by Ian Paisley. Finally, we need to realize that building peace is a process, not an event. There are a few simple steps we could take to start that process. Putting Jerusalem first in any peace negotiations, the acceptance of a shared history and a shared city, a status quo agreement that covers all the holy places, a charter of rights for all Jerusalem citizens, and an end to the war and the terror that created it. If those simple steps are followed, then peace in Jerusalem might just have a shot. Thank you for listening to Public Access America, produced by Public Access Pod. You can find Public Access America on Twitter at Public Access Pod. Discover great new playlists on SoundCloud at Public Access America. Discover our catalog of vintage videos on YouTube at Public Access America. And finally, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to your favorite shows. This has been Public Access America. History in the making. Making history in the making.